Today we begin a new homily series, The Harvest Principle. Over the next five weeks, we will examine this incredibly rich principle that governs all of life. Although we're not an agrarian community, we know something about the seasons of planting and harvesting. If you have kids, maybe you have visited a farm this fall to pick pumpkins or get lost in a crop maze. Or perhaps you have your own garden, your own harvest of fruits, vegetables, or flowers. So what is the harvest principle? It is simply this. You reap what you sow. You plant a seed in the ground. If conditions are hospitable, rain, sunlight, good soil, eventually you will reap the rewards, or at least the effects of what you have planted. This principle reminds us that all of life is connected. Our actions matter. What we do or fail to do now imparts and impacts our future. When we sow good seeds, we can expect good fruit. When we sow bad seeds, we can expect bad fruit. Consider your life, your finances, your marriage, professional life, or fitness. If you're at a place in your life where you do not want to be, chances are you have sowed and reaped yourself there. And likewise, if there is something in your life about which you are very happy, chances are you have sowed and reaped yourself there. This is true for people, so it's true for communities, companies, and nations. For example, as a nation, we have benefited from the sacrifices of those who have gone before us, those veterans who have sacrificed or risked their lives for our country. We enjoy the fruits of freedom because of the seeds they sowed in their sacrifice. When it comes to our faith, we stand on the shoulders of giants. We reap knowledge and wisdom and practical advice that's been passed down to us by Christian heroes and saints. In your personal life, you can probably look back at some good things, things that your parents and grandparents or other family members did for you, gave to you, sacrificed for you, that laid a foundation that you rely upon and depend upon today. Nearly everything we sow will yield something for ourselves or for others. This principle is found throughout Scripture. It's in the book of Proverbs, the book of Isaiah. It's most specifically in St. Paul's letter to the Galatians, where Paul says bluntly, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. So that's the basic general overriding principle of the harvest. You reap what you sow. But there are two corollary principles that are very important to understand. The first corollary principle is you reap what you sow, but it's always later. That is, you don't plant a seed today and tomorrow you have a harvest. For that is simply not the way it works. This principle requires patience and vigilance. Here are four examples. We don't go on a diet today and tomorrow lose weight. You eat right, and over time, you see the results. You don't learn a language or the ability to play a musical instrument overnight. It takes time. Lastly, you don't overcome an addiction or bad habit immediately. Beating an addiction is difficult for a long time. You reap what you sow, but it is later. That's why this principle is very difficult to grasp, especially when you are a teen or young adult. 
However, learning this principle when you are young provides a tremendous advantage to you moving forward into your future. This principle is difficult to keep sight of because there are so many people who seem to defy it. Students, you know of kids at your school who goof off, cheat on exams, go out at night, and do stuff that you would never do. Yet, they seem to be getting away with it. Or you could easily think of people at work coming in late, leaving early, spending company time on personal stuff, and they're getting paid the same you are. Or maybe it's you yourself that are the problem. You're not exactly faithful to your spouse, but she's busy with the kids and doesn't notice. It's not hurting anyone. Initially, it doesn't matter. But eventually, it's a different story. In today's first reading, the prophet Jeremiah writes, They departed in tears. What's he talking about? He's referring to the nation of Israel. We read their story in the first part of the Old Testament. It's a story of God giving the Israelites advantage after advantage, gift after gift, blessing after blessing, for generation after generation. And generation after generation, the people of Israel respond with ingratitude, indifference, and hostility toward God. It seemed that there were no consequences to their actions, but eventually they lost. They lost their advantages, their blessings, and their homeland. They were forced into tragic exile. You reap what you sow, but it is always later. That brings us to the second important corollary to this principle. You reap what you sow, but it's always greater. Do you remember that Under Armour commercial with Tom Brady? Actually, it's a whole bunch of Tom Brady's. It's Tom Brady stretching into infinity. The tagline is, you are the sum of your training. It's a great ad. I defer to Under Armour when it comes to training. But when it comes to life, I would actually add to that. You're not only the sum of your training, you are the multiplication of your training. The sowing and reaping effect multiplies over time. The more you plant, the more you reap, for good and bad, for better and worse. You see this easily and know this well in your finances. You save and invest your money wisely, and it grows. It multiplies. You can see this multiplication effect most significantly in your children. You invest your time, and you invest in them, and you get to witness their amazing transformation into adulthood. You reap what you sow, but it's always greater. Let's look at one more example. In today's gospel reading, Jesus meets a man who is poor. Poor because he was blind. The man, Bartimaeus, persistently refused to accept his condition. He believed in Jesus. So Bartimaeus was sowing seeds of faith in his heart. He worked toward a different future, a better future for himself, and it paid off. With the powerful assistance of the Lord Jesus, it paid off. After sowing the seeds of faith over time, Bartimaeus suddenly begins to see. The healing of his blindness seems instant to us, but Bartimaeus's seeds of faith came first. You reap what you sow, you reap what you sow, later and greater. What about our past? The harvest principle helps us to understand and appreciate and learn from our past. 
This principle is not a big stick with which we beat ourselves to feel badly if we have sown bad seeds. Instead, I ask you to think of it this way. I invite you to consider where you may be planting the wrong seeds or bad seeds. Perhaps you feel that you could be planting different or better seeds. Where is that in your life? Is it your health or finances, your marriage, maybe with your children or your relationship with God? I challenge you to take that to prayer this week in your quiet time. Talk about the seeds that you're sowing with God. Because as important and powerful as the harvest principle is, there is the more important and powerful reality of God's mercy and God's grace. You are not defined by your past. You are not the sum total of your mistakes. Whatever you have sown and reaped yourself into, you can change. You can start sowing another harvest, a different harvest, a greater harvest. The harvest principle is you reap what you sow. Welcome to the second week of our homily series, The Harvest Principle. What is the harvest principle? It is simply this, you reap what you sow. It's a basic principle of life that we get from agriculture and farming. You plant a seed, and if it receives the proper sunlight and rainfall, eventually, usually, you reap the effect of what you have planted. This principle teaches us that life is interconnected. Our actions matter, and they do have consequences. What you do or fail to do impacts what happens later on. When we sow good seeds, we can expect good fruit. When we sow bad seeds, unfortunately, we can expect bad fruit. If you're unhappy with a place in your life, maybe your finances, your marriage, your relationships, your professional life, your fitness, chances are, not a 100% sure, but chances are you have sown and reaped yourself there. Likewise, if you are happy where you are at any place in your life, Chances are that you have sown good seeds to get there. The harvest principle is found throughout Scripture. It brings two important corollary principles along with it. The first corollary principle is you reap what you sow, but it's always later. You don't just plant a seed today and tomorrow you have a harvest. We know that's not the way it works. It takes time. That's why this principle can sometimes be frustrating. It requires patience and vigilance. You reap what you sow, but it's later. The second corollary principle is this. You reap what you sow, but it's always greater. The sowing and reaping effect multiplies over time. It multiplies in proportion to the seed sown. The more you plant, the more you reap. For good and for bad, for better or for worse. It grows as it goes. Today we want to take a look at one specific application of this principle, the most important application of all, the application of this principle when it comes to our character. Character. So, what is that? Well, character is the aggregate of features and traits that form the core nature of a person. Everybody's got character. God gave it to you. One of the first things parents discover about their kids is their emerging character traits, which are God-given. No character is bad to begin with. 
Over time, your thoughts and feelings shape your actions and form your habits. Eventually, each and every choice made and its resultant decision influences and shapes your character. So those choices and decisions determine your character over time. Perhaps more than any other area of your life, you reap what you sow when it comes to your character. Because your character affects every area of your life. You take it with you everywhere you go. It becomes who you are. Think about it this way. Your thoughts and feelings become your actions. Your actions then become your habits. And your habits become your character. More than any other area of life, you reap what you sow when it comes to your character, and you reap later and greater. People who sow the wrong character seeds are headed down a very difficult path that can include unfortunate and unhelpful behaviors and attitudes that range from the merely unattractive to the downright self-destructive. Similarly, People who are sowing the right kind of character seeds can flourish and enjoy nearly unlimited advantages, including emotional health and strength. People of good and strong character don't depend upon external circumstances or people's opinions for their well-being or happiness. Very little can rob them of their peace of mind or joy of heart. You reap what you sow when it comes to your character, and it all comes down to your habits— Your habits are the very seeds that you are sowing when it comes to your character. Sow the seed of honesty, for example, in your life, and you will become an honest person. Sow the seed of patience in your life. My goodness, people are asking me all the time, I want to be more patient. So let's practice that. Sow the seed of patience in your life. Sow that seed in every difficult and every disappointing situation. And over time, you will become a patient person, or at least a more patient person. Same with the seeds of generosity or self-control or kindness. A few days ago, we celebrated the Feast of All Saints or All Saints Day. Who are the saints? Are they superheroes or superstars? Are they the lucky few of the Christian story who luckily just somehow became saints? Well, certainly not. Saints began as ordinary men and women just like you and me. Some of them, like St. Paul, behaved very badly by killing followers of Jesus. Some saints sowed the wrong seeds before they changed. They changed by successfully cultivating the right habits when it came to shaping their character. Many saints changed their lives, and so can you. If you find that you too need to sow better seeds... Saints, like St. Paul, set a great example for us. Saints are people who have reaped and sown themselves into great character because of their habits, and they did it according to a template that Jesus himself gave to us. This isn't a secret or rocket science. Jesus has laid it all out for us. He simply said, follow me and love God and our neighbor in everything we do. Love of God and love of neighbor are at the root of all the virtues we want to develop and grow during our lifetime. Jesus says the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. These two commandments, love of God and love of neighbor, are in every scripture passage that we're reading here today during Mass. In other words, if you get these two commandments right, love of God and love of neighbor, and practice them regularly, they will become a habit. Everything else will naturally flow 
and we will find ourselves in good relationship with God. In these two commandments of love, Jesus points to the foundational virtues we are to have in order to receive the blessing of God, the ultimate blessing of God, which is eternal life, and thus we too become saints. This is Jesus' beautiful blueprint for living. Practicing these two love commandments is exactly how Jesus developed his human character. Remember, Jesus is not just fully God, he's also fully human. He had to develop his character over time. This was not something that was done for him. Character is built by the small choices and decisions you make every day based on love of God and love of neighbor. You reap the character you sow. You reap what you sow, and you reap it later and greater. That's a truth that we do well to recognize and honor in our lives. It's a fact that can help us understand our past and its consequences. But we don't want to beat ourselves up over things that haven't gone well in the past or things that we've done wrong. This idea of reaping what we're sowing is not a big stick to beat ourselves up with and feel bad about no matter what's happened. Instead, think of it as a tool, one to use and leverage to your advantage moving forward on your path to a better life. Where do you have the nagging feeling that maybe you aren't sowing the right seeds? Where do you feel prompted to sow better seeds based on love of God and love of neighbor? Is it your health or your finances, your career, your marriage, or with your children, maybe other relationships, or perhaps your relationship with God? Take it to prayer and talk about it with God. Because as important as this harvest principle is, it's important to acknowledge another reality governing life, one more powerful and more important. It is the reality of God's grace and God's mercy. God's grace and God's mercy trump everything. You are not defined by your past mistakes or sins. You are far more than that. You are daughters and sons of God. Whatever it is that you've sowed and reaped yourself into can change because you can change. You can start sowing another harvest, a different harvest, a great and more abundant harvest. The harvest principle is you reap what you sow. Welcome to the third week of our homily series we've been calling the harvest principle. The principle is this, you reap what you sow. It's a basic principle governing the whole of life that we learned from agriculture and farming. You plant the seed in the ground, and if it receives proper nourishment, eventually, usually, you reap the rewards. When we sow good seed, we can expect good fruit. Bad seed brings bad fruit. It is true that not everything in our lives is the result of what we've sown for ourselves, but everything, or nearly everything, we sow will yield something for ourselves or for someone else. There are two important corollary principles to this general principle. The first one goes like this. You reap what you sow, but it's always later. You don't plant the seed today, and today or tomorrow you discover a harvest. That's not the way it works. It takes time, and that's why this principle can be frustrating and deceptive. Sometimes it requires patience, sometimes vigilance. The second corollary goes like this. You reap what you sow, but it's always greater. The sowing and reaping effect multiplies over time. The more you plant, the more you reap, both for good and for bad, for better and for worse. Last week, we talked about this principle when it applies to our character. 
and we learned that as we make prudent, wise, and right choices in building our character, we can expect blessings in return. Jesus teaches that those who sow mercy and forgiveness find mercy and forgiveness in their lives. Those who sow charity or peace can expect charity and peace in their lives. Today we want to look at how this principle of sowing and reaping applies to our finances, because, as it turns out, you reap what you sow when it comes to your money as well. To understand this truth, we're going to look at a story from the first book of Kings, which is a book of the Bible in the Old Testament. The first and second book of Kings tells us the stories of all the kings of Israel. The story we're looking at today takes place in Israel where there is a great prophet named Elijah and a corrupt king named Ahab who led the people of Israel into the worship of false gods as well as other reprehensible practices. And so God sent Elijah to challenge the king, predicting a three-year drought over the country, a consequence of the people's sin. Well, challenging the king was a dangerous thing to do for sure. So, God told Elijah to go to a place called Zarephath, where he would find safety, security, and provision. A provision would be provided, he's told, by a widow there. That would have been unexpected news, since widows in that culture, at that time, typically lived in poverty. But Elijah is faithful, so he goes to Zarephath, and the Bible tells us as he arrived at the entrance to the city, a widow was carrying sticks there. And he called out to her, "'Bring me a small cup full of water to drink.' She left to get it, and he called out again after her, Please bring along a bit of bread. So Elijah expands the request. As the Lord your God lives, the widow said, I have nothing baked. There's only a handful of flour in my jar and a little oil in my jug. Just now I was collecting a couple of sticks to go in and prepare something for myself and my son. When we have eaten it, we shall die. The poor widow not only can't provide for Elijah, but she's almost out of food for herself and her son. In that moment, she doesn't know what else to do. Elijah gives her another option. Do not be afraid, he says. Go and do as you proposed, but first make me a little cake and bring it to me. Then you can prepare something for yourself and your son. For the Lord God of Israel says, The jar of flour shall not go empty nor the jug of oil run dry until the day the Lord sends rain upon the earth. Elijah tells her, first of all, not to fear. Follow your plan to prepare food for yourself and for your son, but with a slight alteration. Prepare the food, but first give a portion of it away. In other words, Elijah asked her to believe in the harvest principle. Give away some of what you have now in return for the promise of all you will need moving forward. So she made some bread with a little bit of flour she had left, and she gives the first portion away to Elijah. Here's what the scripture tells us happened. She was able to eat for a year, and Elijah as well as her son. The jar of flour did not go empty, nor the jug of oil run dry, as the Lord had foretold through Elijah. So the principle of the harvest, she sowed seeds of abundance out of her pittance. By giving away what she had, she got all she needed and more. It just came later and greater. So how does the harvest principle apply to money? The wisest use of money is to sow seeds with it. And there are two ways we can do that. The first way, the most important thing we can do with money, the most strategic thing we can do with money, is give it away. You see, Jesus' followers don't give thinking that they're losing something. Jesus' followers give confident that they are gaining something, the harvest principle. 
Scripture tells us over and over and over again that not only are we not diminished when we give, but we'll reap benefits in proportion to our giving. Giving is investing in our eternal future. We can build treasure in heaven. Jesus preached this all the time, over and over again. He urged us to build treasure in heaven, and we do that by giving. Giving to God, first of all, by giving to his church and giving to the poor. The goal of our giving is to reach a sacrificial place where God has promised to bless, both in the time ahead as well as right now. The second way that we win with money is by saving and investing. While giving is sowing seeds for our eternal future, saving and investing is sowing seeds for our immediate future and the immediate future of our family and our children. When it comes to money, give first, save next, then live on the rest. Spend the rest, but spend within your limits. So as I close out this message today, I want to address three different audiences that are with us here in our congregation. First, for students and young adults, start these habits and practices early, as in now, right now. Perhaps you don't have very much money, but you do not have very many expenses either, at least not in comparison to what you will have in the future. Start sowing good seeds now, when it comes to giving and saving with whatever you have now, and then you'll be doing yourself a favor. You'll be setting yourself up for success when you are earning more. For those of you who are successful when it comes to money, or blessed in worldly ways, I would like to challenge you too. I would like to challenge you to re-examine just how well you are doing in the giving part, as compared to the saving and investing part. Is there a balance there? And third, finally, to those of you who are struggling with money, if you want to turn your financial situation around, I invite and encourage you. I urge you, in fact, to prioritize giving and saving. I know it seems counterintuitive to give away money or to save money when you have so little and you need so much, but it really is the best way to solve your problem and to invite God into your finances. God is actually willing to step in and help you with your finances if you are willing to begin in obedience to what He has to say about money. You reap what you sow. You reap what you sow later and greater. It's a truth we do well to recognize and to honor in our lives. It's a fact that can help us unpack and understand what's happened to us in the past and to learn from our personal history. Think of it as a tool that you can use to your advantage, to leverage for your future. Where do you have that nagging feeling that you're not sowing the right seeds in the right direction? Where do you feel that prompting to start sowing different seeds or better seeds? Is it your health, your finances, your marriage, your kids, your relationships, your relationship with God? Take that to prayer and start talking to Him about it. Because as important and powerful a reality as the harvest principle is, it is important to acknowledge another reality that is more powerful and vastly more important. It's the principle of mercy and grace. The principle of mercy and grace trumps everything. And that's why you are not defined by your past. You are not the sum total of your mistakes and your missteps and your misdeeds. You're more than that. You are vastly more than that. You are daughters and sons of God. And you can start sowing a different harvest, a better harvest, a great harvest. Welcome to the fourth week of our homily series, The Harvest Principle. Remember, the harvest principle is you reap what you sow. This principle governs all of life. You plant a seed in the ground, 
If it receives proper nourishment, you can expect, eventually, to reap the rewards of what you have planted. When we sow good seed, most of the time, we're going to have a return of good fruit. Bad seed brings bad fruit. We mentioned two important corollaries to this principle. First, you reap what you sow, but it's always later. You don't plant a seed today and tomorrow expect to find a harvest. It takes time. And that's why this principle can be frustrating and hard to fully understand. It takes time, which requires patience. The second corollary is you reap what you sow, but it's always greater. The more you sow, either good or bad, the more you reap for good or bad. Two weeks ago, we applied this principle to our character. When you're making the right choices regarding character, you can expect to live a life of integrity on the path to holiness. Last week, we looked at this principle as it applies to our finances. The wisest use of our money is not to spend it, but to sow it. We sow with our finances by giving, saving, and investing. You give first, you save and invest next, and then you spend last. Saving is an investment in our earthly future, and giving is an investment in our eternal future. Today we apply the harvest principle to an extremely important area of our lives that the Bible talks about all the time. That is, wisdom. In order to do that, we're going to look at a Bible passage from our first reading, the book of the prophet Daniel. Daniel is a prophet of the Old Testament, and the book of Daniel is his story. The book of Daniel includes visions of the future in sometimes complicated symbolism, but always with a purpose and a present application. Here's what Daniel says. At that time, Michael, the archangel, who stands guard over your nation, will arise. Then there will be a time of anguish greater than any since nations first came into existence. Daniel is describing the beginning of the end time, the end of the world. The central figure in this time will be Michael the archangel, who we know from elsewhere in Scripture as an angel who is also a warrior. From Scripture we know he comes whenever serious stuff is happening. So Daniel is looking ahead to this end time, a time he describes as a time of anguish greater than any other. Daniel is describing a reality that everyone will experience. However, not everyone will experience it in the same way. Some can experience distress, disgrace, and reproach. But Daniel says those who are wise will shine as bright as the sky, and those who lead many to righteousness will shine like stars forever. That means some are going to be beat up by the end. Some are going to be overcome by it. But one group will be at an unparalleled advantage to everyone else. Daniel calls them the wise. So today, we're going to look at sowing seeds of wisdom. Wisdom and knowledge are not the same thing. Knowledge comes through education. Knowledge can be bought and learned. Also, wisdom and experience are not the same thing. Everyone gains experience. Things happen to everybody. But not everybody understands what it is they are experiencing. So what is wisdom? Understanding applied to our experience and knowledge equals wisdom. There are two facts of life that wise people do understand better than anybody else. First fact, we will face trouble in life. Trouble is a certainty of life. Sooner or later, trouble is headed our way. That's the bad news. The good news is the second fact. We can sow seeds of wisdom now in anticipation of the trouble to come 
which will strategically set us up to better deal with trouble. I see this all the time at funerals. Funerals inevitably fall into one of two categories. On one hand, funerals of people who lived with wisdom. Those funerals are different. No matter the situation, no matter the context, no matter the circumstances, those funerals are inevitably different. For example, I did a funeral for a young man. He was 21 years old. Through no fault of his own, he died in a car accident one evening, and it was, of course, a very sad occasion. There was no getting away from the sadness. But the young man's parents, suffering a heartbreaking loss that few of us could imagine, carried themselves with such strength and nobility that they were actually a comfort to everyone else. In fact, they were an inspiration. They were especially strong for the many young people who showed up filled with grief. Those parents showed concern, care, and kindness for those young adults, despite the weight of their own grief. On the other hand, not to criticize anyone, just making a point, I had a funeral for a 97-year-old man who'd never been sick a day in his life, who was active until the day he died. He died, by the way, in his own bed, in his sleep. He had a successful career doing what he loved. His work was what he loved. He had a large extended family. Most everybody was successful and healthy. By any measure, that was a life worth celebrating. That funeral, sad for sure, but that funeral should have had some element of giving thanks and for celebrating his life. But that family, God bless them, was completely unprepared to face the reality of death. So that funeral, as a consequence, was an emotional roller coaster. It was a train wreck. I'm not criticizing anybody. Everybody grieves differently, and they deserve our respect to do so. But those two stories underscore two very different approaches to life. I see it all the time. You cannot prevent trouble, turmoil, distress, and death. You can avoid some of it, but you can't avoid it entirely. What you can do is prepare for it. You can sow seeds now, so when trouble comes your way, you're ready. You're able to survive. You can even thrive through difficulties and challenges. How do you do that? You do it by placing your knowledge and experience under the lens of eternity. Learn to view life through the lens of eternity, because that's the very best way to look at life. And that is what Daniel did. Wisdom is all about prioritizing the eternal and then fitting in the temporary. Wise people build their lives around what's eternal, and they squeeze in the temporary. Temporary things are things such as sports, style, clothes, cars, golf, and yes, even football. They're all good things, they're even great things, but they are temporary things. At the same time, accidents, delays, dangerous disease, death, terrorism, they are bad things for sure, but they are also temporary things. They pass away, they come to an end, they have a limited shelf life. Only God and God's people are eternal. That's you and me. Of course, the remaining question is, how do you acquire wisdom? How do you get that lens of eternity focused on your experience and your knowledge? The answer is simple and obvious, and judge what you would expect to hear from the church guy in church, me. Wisdom begins with prayer and a relationship with God because true wisdom comes from God. 
So you sow seeds of wisdom through prayer. Prayer is foundational. It is fundamental. It is indispensable to the cultivation of wisdom. Considering prayer, we're talking about a two-pronged approach. Number one, you need a daily quiet time, which includes talking to God and listening to Him. And the best way to listen to Him is through reading His Scripture. It does not have to be long, just a short passage of Scripture. Number two, then match that daily prayer with weekly worship time here with your family at Mass, your church family here at Mass on the weekends. A lot of people, despite their very best efforts, don't pray. They don't pray because they don't think they have time, or maybe they don't feel they're getting anything out of their prayer. But remember the principle of reaping what you sow later and greater. It takes time to learn to pray and to gain the benefits of prayer. I'm not just talking about going through the motions or reciting endless prayers or coming for communion and rushing back out for your car. I'm talking about daily quiet time and pouring yourself into the work of worship on the weekend. When you're doing that, you're learning to see differently. You're looking at your life through a different lens. It's the lens of eternity. And that's what wisdom is, seeing differently through the lens of eternity. The extraordinary vision Daniel paints in today's first reading is matched by an even more extraordinary, more extravagant vision described by Jesus in the gospel. It all comes down to the basic reality that we're talking about throughout this homily series, which is you reap what you sow. You reap later, you reap greater. It's a fact that can help us appreciate the past and what's happened to us. It's a tool It's a tool we can use to change and be better, wiser people. The only challenge that we've been presenting through this entire homily series is for you to take time to consider what seeds you're sowing in your life, financially, relationally, in your marriage, with your children or extended family, in your relationship with God. Take time and consider where you might sow differently or sow better seeds and also talk to God about it. One last important thing to acknowledge is God's grace and God's mercy. God's mercy says, you and I are not defined by our past. We're not the sum total of our mistakes, missteps, or sins. We are infinitely more than that. We are sons and daughters of God, created in the image and likeness of God, and we can change. What are you sowing? The harvest principle is, you reap what you sow.